Yes, I did not know where Yale was when I was moving there, to be honest, um, but it is in New Haven, Connecticut. It is a small little urban city. And this is my fourth year there, and uh, although it's slowly become home for uh, me and Ben, one of the harder things about moving there has been the lack of good Korean food. I am from Northern Virginia. I'm from Centerville. I know there's some people who live in Centerville. Yeah, it's like Koreatown. So much good food. Um, and since I grew up eating Korean food, it's my comfort food. So there's a lot of ingredients I can't find in our city, which sucks. Um, so every few months, Ben and I drive actually to New York City um, and visit the local H Mart there uh, for things like bean sprouts. I know that might not sound exciting to you guys, but <laughs> I really like bean sprouts. Um, there is a small Asian market um, in a couple blocks from our house, and we frequented it a couple times our first year, but they never had bean sprouts or any of the things I was actually looking for. And I remember one day Ben went to go pick something up for us, and he came back and was like, Jenny, did you know that there's like an entire level downstairs? I was like, what? There's, there's two stories to this building? Um, and so I go back and sure enough, there's like, I don't know how I missed it, but you walk in and there's a set of stairs and it goes to the basement. And there was an entire other floor where they had bean sprouts. It was amazing. <laughs> um, and all sorts of other produce and meats that I didn't know we could buy in New Haven. I don't know how I missed like half the store. Um, but I share this illustration uh, to ask, have you ever been in a situation where you thought you got the full picture of something only to realize that you had missed a pretty significant part of it? Um, and so the question we're going to look at from Jesus this morning is going to address something really integral, something so significant to our lives as disciples of Jesus that if we miss this, we're going to miss a significant aspect of what Jesus is all about. Um, if you've grown up in church, uh, maybe you're like me, I thought the gospel was all about God saving souls. Like, it was all about God saving individual souls. It's just about me and him and our relationship. But actually, we're going to see this morning that he's also doing something else. He's doing something just as significant as that. And that is this. God is creating a whole new community. And so that's what we're going to be looking at this morning, community. So happy topic. <laughs> um, and that word community can be a pretty complicated word. It's something most people want, right? You get to college, a lot of organizations promise community. Looking for friends? Join my club. If you rush Greek, -like, Greek life, you're going to find your lifelong friends. Or even Join Chi Alpha and you will find real community, right? <laughs> um, and as lovely as it sounds, that word can sometimes feel complicated or even disappointing. But one of the defining marks of the Christian faith is that God is three persons in one. And this means that we are made in the image of fellowship. And there's actually only one time in the entire creation narrative when God uses the words, not good. And that's when man is alone. And so it would seem like God is all I need. God is all we need. But Genesis actually tells us that because God made us in the image of himself, we are created for relationships. And the fact that loneliness is such a rampant phenomenon 
shows that we are biologically wired for relationships. And from the very beginning, when Jesus begins his ministry on earth, following Jesus has meant living in community. We see over and over again that Jesus did not just call one disciple, but disciples. And when you read through the Gospels, you can't help but see that the call to follow Jesus was at the same time a call to join his community. But what kind of community is this? So we will be reading from Mark chapter 3, verses 31 to 34. Mark chapter 3, 31 to 34. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, Your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers? He asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. So this question is a bit of a different one than the other ones we've been looking at because it's a bit of a rhetorical question. Jesus asks, you know, who are my mother and my brothers? Like, technically, Mary? Like, we all know the answer to this. But Jesus answers his own question by saying that those who were seated around him, his disciples, his followers, are his family. He calls them his brothers and sisters. And that Greek word that he uses is not only used by Jesus, but by later New Testament writers. It's used over 340 times in the New Testament. So it seems pretty obvious and clear just from reading the passage that the kind of community that Jesus is creating is that of family. And at first, that might just be like really cute or sweet, like, oh, Jesus wants us to be a family. And depending on your family of origin, we all have differing ideas of what family is. Some of you love talking to your parents every day. Some of you avoid their calls at all costs. But this is actually, in my opinion, one of Jesus's most radical statements. And in order to understand it, we need to understand the context of what family meant back then. So just bear with me for a few minutes. Um, anthropologists will talk about two different types of societies that have existed in human history. First is the strong group, and the second is weak group. So you have strong group and weak group culture, or you may be more familiar with the terms collectivist or individualist. And so Jesus's world was a strong group society. Um, one anthropologist, Bruce Molina, describes a strong group society as one where, quote, the person perceives himself or herself a member of a group and responsible to the group for his or her actions, destiny, career, development, and life in general. The individual person is embedded in the group and is free to do what he or she sees is right and necessary only if in accord with group norms and only if the action is in the group's best interests. The group has priority over the individual member. 
So some examples of strong group societies are like Korean culture, most African cultures, Arab cultures, basically any culture that's not Western European culture. <laughs> um, we are part of a weak group society where the individual has priority over the group. Um, my desire, my happiness, my preferences and autonomy is more important than the group we identify with. So for example, two great rom-coms of our day, <laughs> uh, Titanic and Crazy Rich Asians. Um, these are two movies about love stories where the family doesn't approve of the relationship. Um, in Titanic, if you've seen it, or if you, if you haven't even seen it, you probably know the story. What does Rose choose? She chooses Jack. Otherwise, the movie would not have worked. <laughs> um, yes. And in Crazy Rich Asians, if you guys have seen this movie, what does Rachel choose? She chooses to let Nick go. And the love story in Titanic probably would not have been received well in ancient Near East culture for a number <laughs> of reasons, um, but it probably would have been horrifying to think that Rose would sacrifice the good of her family for her own satisfaction. Um, so again, Jesus' world was a strong group world, Ooh. and in that world, your primary group was family. And also, in his world, the closest kind of bond that existed in family was not the bond of marriage, which is different from our culture where we elevate romantic relationships as like the height of intimacy. Um, it was actually the bond between siblings. That was the most intimate relationship that existed. So when Jesus says, my brother and my sister, it carries the weight of the closest, deepest kind of bond that existed in his world. So in this simple rhetorical question, Jesus is publicly declaring that his community of his disciples, the group of individuals that didn't have much in common, some who didn't even like each other, that's his family. And this is not to say that we need to become a strong group society. Um, if that definition I read earlier makes you like kind of nervous, <laughs> like kind of sounds like a cult, um, it, me too. And this is not to say that we should abandon our families or we should be replacing our families, um, but we do need to give weight to the fact that Jesus chose to illustrate his vision for community through first century Mediterranean culture's understanding of family. Jesus chose the strongest group of in his culture, the family, as the model for relationships among his disciples. And that means that we are part of a new family. In her book, Alone Together, MIT professor Sherry Turkle writes about how alongside the rise of technology, our modern day concept and definition of community has shrunk into something too trivial. Our standard for community is too small. Instead, she writes that communities are constituted by physical proximity, shared concerns, real consequences, and common responsibilities. And she wrote this definition like a couple years ago. So her definition sounds like a strong group family to me. And if I were to pull out two big themes from her definition, it would be closeness and responsibility. 
living close with one, one another in physical proximity, having intimacy in relationships, and living responsible to one another. And we'll come back to those two themes. So with that context in mind, let's return to Jesus's rhetorical question of who are my mother and my brothers? I'd venture to say it was a radical statement back then, and it's a radical statement now. Why was this radical back then? Well, Jesus redraws his family lines, not by bloodlines, but by whoever does God's will. And so suddenly you're like with Jesus and the people around you who may be hard to love, who may have even been your enemies, they're in your family, like your strong group family. And if you think our world is divided, like his world was so much worse. Like, like the closest example I can think of is think like Ben Shapiro and AOC, like they are suddenly in a family together. And you would not even have to interact with them, but you would have to be in close relationship with them. You would have to serve their interests, sacrifice for them. And Jesus is saying like this, this is what it means to be my disciple. And so you and I are part of the bigger, global, historical family of God, but we also belong to whatever the local expression of that family is that we are a part of. So for you guys, during this unique season of college, that is this community. It's the people you live by that you follow Jesus with. So everyone can look around and say to each other, let's function like a family. <laughs> um, yes, so sweet. <laughs> Okay, but for real, I think this is still really radical today for three reasons. This is still radical today because Jesus does not seem to question the strong group approach. And with this, we come against the barrier of individualism. We talked about that last night. Jesus' definition of community is wildly at odds with our culture of individualism. We are trained to approach everything including fam community, thinking of ourselves first. Our culture trains us to think, is this good for me? Is this convenient for me? But to function like Jesus's vision of family, we actually have to commit to a group of people. College often tells you to go as wide as possible, try to make as many connections as possible. But we can't live that way if we are to be family. And I know this is in the culture because every semester, every fall, especially, I have the same conversation with freshmen again and again about how if they actually want deep relationships in college, you actually have to commit to a community, even if it's at the expense of something else. Commitment is radical. We can't treat the family of God like a, a stop at a Chipotle, like I'm gonna have a little bit of this and a little bit of that or I'm gonna show up when it's convenient for me. It should not be easy for you to walk out of your, fam of your family, of your community. It should not be as easy as canceling an Uber driver. And Jesus's vision of community as family does not happen by accident. It takes time, effort, and intentionality over the long haul. And in my experience of watching college students, 
Those who flourish the most in their discipleship to Jesus and in their community are those who deeply commit to their community and make it a priority. Those who, when they look at their calendar, say, you know what, my community meets on this day and this days, those are untouchable in my schedule. And this is radical because community at some point will probably involve you sacrificing something for the good of the community. His definition of community as family is uh, also radical today for another reason. <laughs> Our culture defines community through chemistry and connectivity. And with this, we come up against the barrier of idealism. We are idealistic about what a community should be, what it should feel like. Like, I don't know, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll know when I have found my people, when it feels like we just click. How often do we experience the sentiment of, I don't know, we don't really vibe together. Like, I don't really vibe with that person. And of course, we want to hang out with people who are naturally like us, who think like us, who we have chemistry with. There's nothing wrong with that. That's just human. But that can't be our criteria for community because it falls short of Jesus's vision. Jesus's vision was that of bringing together people who were completely different under a common purpose to follow him. And I honestly can't think of a more powerful testament to our world about the reality of God than this. And again, there's nothing wrong with gravitating toward people who are like you. I do that too. Like, if you mention anything in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, <laughs> I want to be your friend. Um, but if we find ourselves surrounded only by people who we naturally like, then I think we are missing something of the kingdom of God. And I hope everyone in this room gets to experience a friendship that doesn't make sense outside of Christ. Not to mention at some point, your community, like this community, they're going to disappoint you. They're going to hurt you. And you're going to be like, how did this happen? I thought we were friends. But actually, having conflict in your community is normal. It is healthy. Yeah. <laughs> you see, if you have the ideal of community on one end and the messy reality of community on the other, discipleship happens right there in the middle. That's how we grow. One of my favorite books is written by um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. It's called Life Together. You should read it. It's a great book on community. But he has this quote in there where he writes, Every human dream that is injected into the Christian community is a hindrance to genuine community and must be banished if genuine community is to survive. He who loves his dream of a community more than the Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter, even though his personal intentions may be ever so honest and earnest and sacrificial. So do you love your dream of a community more than the community itself? And finally, his vision of community as family is radical because, is because it's not optional. Community is just not optional. Because to be a child of the father is to also be a brother and a sister in the family. My husband, Ben, um, by the way, thank you to everyone who let us know that his shirt is upside down. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> Um, but Ben has three brothers, four boys. Can you imagine that household? 
wild. Um, but when I became Ben's wife, I also became a sister. Similarly, when you become God's child, you become a brother or a sister. You cannot be a disciple and not be part of this family. As we said earlier, the call to follow Jesus was at the same time a call to join his community. And so with this, we come up against the barrier of intimidation. And by intimidation, I don't necessarily mean we like always feel scared, but I mean that when it comes to like truly being known, truly being loved, it takes vulnerability. It takes risk because when we are in true community, our true selves are laid bare. We are at our best and we are at our worst in community. And this is why we're scared of intimacy because who we actually are is going to come out at some point with no filter. And you're, that means you're also going to see the best and the worst of each other. But this is actually how we become people of love. We mess up, we repent, people call us out, and we receive grace. Um, when I was living with two of my friends from Chi Alpha, they got to know me really well. And actually, I got to know myself really well. Um, I learned that I am really quite selfish. I hate it when people leave dishes in the sink for multiple days, like it makes me physically angry. Um, and so we learned how to have conflict about very petty things. And I really struggled with correction. It never feels good. But again, this is the only way that we grow. It's only in the context of community where we are transformed. It's not optional. You cannot grow on your own. And as radical as this idea of community as family is, I really do believe that this is what Jesus desires for us, that when he asks, who are my mother and brother, Jesus is inviting us into his family. And this is how we are to operate in relationships. So that means Chi Alpha is not an organization. I mean, it is, but it's not just an organization. It's not just a group. It's not a meeting. It's not that thing you attend on Tuesday nights. You are what makes up Chi Alpha. And if you want to be the kind of family that Jesus envisions, don't wait until someone else makes it happen for you. Take ownership of that. Community is not, it's not complex, guys. It's just hard work. And so in our final few minutes together, I want us to dream about what that could look like in your community. If we were to return to those two themes we pulled earlier of closeness and responsibility, what might that look like in your Chi Alpha community? So first, let's look at closeness. We talked about two things. The first is being in physical proximity, having regular rhythms of being together, eating together, doing life together. Please consider living together. There is like nothing more special than getting to live with one another. And you honestly don't get that opportunity much outside of college. If you were to think of a metaphor of going to the gym, if you go to the gym sporadically, once in a blue moon, or like once every few weeks, you can't really expect progress. Similarly, if you only see your community once in a while, I don't know if you can really expect to grow with them. 
So what might it look like for you to aggressively structure your schedule around your community? Um, at Yale, students are split into different colleges instead of dorms. So um, someone asked me yesterday, what is Yale like? Yale is like Hogwarts. <laughs> Imagine like the different houses of Hogwarts and when you get there your first year, you are just randomly put into one and you live there all four years. You live on campus. And it's a huge part of your Yale experience, your Yale identity. So when one student I know decided to switch colleges in, sort of to, in order to live with a friend in Chi Alpha, it was radical. I think I have a picture of them, one of them, I don't know. Oh, yes. Um, so this girl, second to the right, her name's Hannah. She chose to switch from her college to another college. And I know that means nothing to you, but this is like, people don't do that. Um, she had to throw all her old Pearson stuff away. She was starting fresh in a new college where she didn't know many people. But three years later, she is still reaping the fruit of choosing to live in proximity. Not only did her friendship grow, but all these girls joined their core group because they were meeting in their suite. And actually two girls who were in their suite ended up um, not only joining her core group and following Jesus, but actually they are leading core groups themselves this year. It's pretty incredible. And so physical proximity. But closeness also means having deep vulnerability, truly opening your hearts to one another, lowering your masks with one another. As one author defines vulnerability, vulnerability includes meaningful risk. It means putting yourself at risk. And of course, this in, um, includes confessing your sins, fighting. <laughs> um, I think a sign of real community is when conflict arises. But since vulnerability has been such a buzzword in culture um, in the last few years, I wanna give us just a few practical ways to practice vulnerability. So I have a list of statements. I want you to write them down if you're taking notes. Ready? Um, vulnerability is the ability to say, this is my story. This is my story. And I think this is something most people in our culture feel comfortable with, almost to the point where like vulnerability is performance art. Um, but vulnerability also includes the ability to say, this is what I'm bad at. This is what I'm bad at. Or this is where I have, I have failed or where I was wrong. This is where I have been the fool. Or this is a hard one. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And lastly, saying, telling someone, I need help. I need your help. So, yeah, just wanted to share those with you. Maybe take a look at them later as you're sitting at home and consider, you know, are any of these really hard for me? And what might it look like for me to practice vulnerability with my community? So that's closeness. Let's talk about responsibility. Two things under here. This uh, responsibility basically means living responsible to one another. This is living in a way that recognizes that in this family, all of your lives are interconnected. So this includes sharing your resources, like your practical resources, taking care of one another practically, from the very little to the big things, being generous with one another asking one another for help when you need it. 
And here's a question for you. Are you actually close enough with the people in your community that they would express their needs to you? My last semester of college, I was applying to do the Chi Alpha internship. I was praying about a future in ministry, um, which if you don't know, involves raising financial support for your own income. And I had a decent amount of student debt. And one day after a Chi Alpha gathering, um, my friend pulled me aside and asked to talk. She proceeded to tell me that for as long as it takes, she wanted to help pay off my student debt on a monthly basis. I had not asked her to do this. Um, and it honestly is like still one of the most radical, incredible things that um, she would be willing to share her resources in such a loving way. And as someone uh, who struggles with holding too tightly to things that I think are mine, this kind of generosity from my friend forever changed me. And so not saying you guys have to all pay off your, each other's debt, though you're welcome to do that. Um, what might it look like for you to be generous with the resources that you have? Perhaps you might consider setting aside money each month so that you can help meet needs that you hear about. And finally, responsibility includes fighting for one another, helping each other grow in Christ-likeness. And this means we actually hold each other accountable, fight for the best in each other's lives. Give the people in your core group permission to speak into your life, especially the things that we don't wanna see about ourselves. Because honestly, we all have blind spots. And it can be here or hard to hear something challenging from a friend it might feel like, I don't know, you're being attacked. Um, and it might be challenging for you to say something to a friend. But again, this is how we grow. This is where discipleship happens. And true community doesn't mean we're picking on each other's weaknesses, but we give each other grace to see God's power to walk towards wholeness. So community as family involves being close with one another and living responsible to one another. Um, and as we close, here is the beautiful thing about Jesus' vision of family. He intends it to be a family that creates new family. It's a family that exists not just for itself, but it, it, it exists for the people around them. And that means ultimately, as you commit to each other, as you love one another, as you demonstrate the kingdom of God to those around you, you don't just exist for those that are already in the room, you exist for the people that are not in the room yet. God is a father, he is a family that creates family, and we get to be a part of that kingdom. I'm going to invite the worship team back up, and they're going to lead us in a song um, as we close out the weekend. But here's my challenge to you, Chi Alpha. Will you be this kind of community? Will you choose to be family? Can it be said of you that you are a family? Can it be said of you that you are committed to one another? That you live in proximity to one another? That you are vulnerable with one another? that you sacrifice for one another, that you fight for one another. I promise you, if we live this way with in intentionality, that the people around you are gonna be like, what in the world are you doing? 
and can I, can I experience some of that? So I just want to close in prayer, and we're going to um, respond in a song of worship. Um, Let's pray. God, we thank you for inviting us into your family. God, we sit here as brothers and as sisters in Christ. And God, we know that that's not just a cute word that we say, um, but God, it's a word that, that, that holds the deepest kind of intimacy and closeness um, that you had in mind. And so, Lord, I pray over this community. I pray that Chi Alpha at JMU, that Chi Alpha at GMU, that, um, that we would be a people um, who lives like your vision of family. That, God, that we would be a people that um, live truly vulnerable with one another, that we model sacrifice. And, God, as we live this way, um, that we would be a light on our campuses, that we would exist for those who are not yet in the room. And so God, as we end this weekend, um, we just say thank you again, King Jesus, for being who you are. We thank you for being here with us and for um, everything that you spoke to us and we're doing in our hearts. Um, we just seal that in the name of Jesus. We pray that as we go from here that, um, yeah, that you would really cement the things that you were doing in this place. And so, God, we just choose to respond to who you are in worship. We pray that you would be honored and glorified. And I just imagine, God, that you, as you're looking down on us as the good Father, that you are just smiling over us in this moment, that you are delighting over us. And so, Lord, we, we choose to give you honor and glory. In your name, amen.